0: I'm Ted O'Connell, one of the authors of Crush Step 1, the ultimate USMLE Step 1 review, along with my co-authors, Ryan Pedigo and Thomas Blair. I am also the chief content officer for Inside the Boards. This is a Crush Step 1 podcast based on the second edition of our best-selling book. The goal is to provide you high-yield and high-quality audio content of the book to help you study on the go and reclaim some of the time in your day.
1: We will begin this episode by discussing female pathology, beginning with disorders of menstruation. You can follow along in your text on table 16.2. Menorrhagia is an increased bleeding volume and duration with a normal cycle length. Polymenorrhea has a shortened cycle length, so menstruation occurs more often. Oligomenorrhea has an increased cycle length so menstruation occurs less often. Metroraja is an irregular frequency of breakthrough bleeding between normal menstrual cycles, whereas menometroragia has a variable cycle frequency and length with irregular bleeding frequency and an increased bleeding volume and duration. Next, we will discuss pathology in pregnancy. Ectopic pregnancy is a condition in which the embryo implants outside the uterus. The most common site of ectopic pregnancy is the ampulla of the fallopian tube. Ectopic pregnancy often results in the triad of vaginal bleeding, pelvic pain, and adnexal mass. The patient with an ectopic pregnancy has elevated HCG levels, signifying the presence of a pregnancy. However, the HCG level does not double in 48 hours as in most normal early uterine pregnancies. Risk factors for ectopic pregnancy include pelvic inflammatory disease causing scarring of the fallopian tubes, a prior ectopic pregnancy, tubal ligation, and adhesions from previous abdominal surgeries. Confirmation can be made with ultrasound, which may show an adnexal mass. Decidualized endometrium without chorionic villi may also be present because the pregnancy is not in the uterine cavity. Treatment is often necessary before ultrasonographic findings are present. Methotrexate may be used to terminate the pregnancy, or surgery can be used to remove the embryo. Molar pregnancy is a benign proliferative abnormality of the placenta or chorionic epithelium that has malignant potential if it transforms to gestational trophoblastic tumor or choriocarcinoma. The most common form is a complete mole, which is dispermic fertilization of an anuclear ovum, resulting in 46XX or 46XY. There are no fetal parts because it is a complete mole. There is a 20% chance of progressing to malignancy. On ultrasound there are grape-like vesicles and a snowstorm appearance. Incomplete mole is dispermic fertilization of a normal ovum resulting in 69XXY. An incomplete mole contains fetal parts and no vesicles. There's a 5% chance of progressing to malignancy. Presenting signs and symptoms include abnormal vaginal bleeding nausea and vomiting from extremely elevated HCG levels, lutein cysts, and hyperthyroidism as a result of alpha subunit recognition of the TSH receptor because HCG and TSH share a nearly identical alpha subunit. Treatment is dilation and curatage and follow-up of HCG levels until they reach zero, This ensures that no tissue is retained that will progress to malignancy. Miscarriages are extremely common, and one or two miscarriages do not imply maternal pathology. First trimester losses are usually caused by aneuploidy, more specifically an autosomal trisomy. Second trimester losses usually have maternal causes, such as uterine anomaly, like a bicornuate uterus, cervical insufficiency, maternal infection, or a maternal hypercoagulable state. Third trimester bleeding is commonly secondary to placenta previa or placental abruption. Placenta previa is when the placenta attaches to the lower uterine segment and partially covers the cervix, so it prevents exit of the fetus. This commonly causes painless vaginal bleeding. Risk factors include prior cesarean section and multiparity. Patients with placenta previa are at higher risk for placenta accreta, in which the placenta attaches to the myometrium. Placental abruption is premature separation of the placenta, causing painful vaginal bleeding, fetal distress, and tetanic constant maximal, contractions. Risk factors include cocaine use, smoking, hypertension, and trauma. The mother is at risk for disseminated intravascular coagulation, or DIC, and shock. So remember, on step one, painless third trimester bleeding is placenta previa, whereas painful third trimester bleeding is placental abruption preeclampsia is a triad of pregnancy-induced hypertension, proteinuria, and edema of the face and hands, all of which result from placental artery vasoconstriction. The hypertension is defined as more than 140 over 90 and usually occurs after 20 weeks gestation and subsides by 6 weeks postpartum. Other symptoms include oliguria, headache, vision changes, And right upper quadrant abdominal pain. Newer guidelines do not require proteinuria for diagnosis because many women don't meet the proteinuria cutoff, which could delay diagnosis and treatment. Risk factors for preeclampsia include previous hypertension, diabetes, or kidney disease. Severe preeclampsia can be manifested as blood pressure greater than 140 over 90 with massive proteinuria greater than 3 plus on the dipstick or s help syndrome HELLP which stands for hemolysis elevated lfts low platelets HELLP eclampsia is preeclampsia with the addition of seizures preeclampsia is treated with delivery whenever possible usually after 34 weeks and magnesium sulfate is given to prevent progression to eclampsia. Magnesium levels must be monitored during treatment with magnesium to prevent toxicity. An early sign of magnesium toxicity is loss of deep tendon reflexes. Later signs are respiratory depression and cardiac arrest. Treatment of eclampsia involves immediate delivery regardless of gestational age. Next, we'll discuss the amniotic fluid disorders. Polyhydramnios is an excess of amniotic fluid. Duodenal atresia and tracheoesophageal fistula lead to polyhydramnios because fluid cannot go through the fetal gastrointestinal tract. Anencephaly causes polyhydramnios as the central nervous system leaks excess fluid into the amniotic sac. Maternal diabetes is also associated with polyhydramnios. Oligohydramnios is a deficit of amniotic fluid related to urogenital abnormalities like renal agenesis and posterior urethral valves. Also, premature rupture of membranes or placental insufficiency caused by things like preeclampsia or post-term pregnancy. Next, we'll discuss benign gynecologic conditions. Mittelschmerz is abdominal pain secondary to ovulation. When ovulation occurs, blood from the ruptured follicle may cause peritoneal irritation. Endometriosis is a condition in which endometrial glands and stroma are located outside the uterus, resulting in cyclic bleeding and dysmenorrhea. The most common sites are the ovaries, pouch of Douglas, fallopian tubes, and intestines, these growths can coalesce into small masses of ectopic endometrial tissue called endometriomas or chocolate cysts because of their color and consistency. The pathogenesis is thought to be as follows. One, retrograde menstrual flow through the fallopian tubes. Two, silomic metaplasia into endometrial cells. Or three, vascular or lymphatic spread. Patients may experience dysperiunia, which is pain with intercourse, and are at increased risk for infertility. Definitive diagnosis is by laparoscopy, and treatment begins with oral contraceptive pills. Adenomyosis is endometrial glands and stroma within the myometrium, resulting in an enlarged uterus on bimanual exam. A leiomyoma, or fibroid, is a common benign smooth muscle tumor that is more common in African American women. These tumors are responsive to estrogen and commonly become larger during pregnancy and shrink in size after menopause. They're generally asymptomatic, but clinical findings include heavy menstrual bleeding, constipation, and urinary frequency or urgency. Complications include obstructing delivery or iron-deficiency anemia from bleeding of submucosal fibroids. This tumor is commonly stained with smooth muscle actin. Lyomyosarcoma occurs de novo and not as malignant transformation of an existing lyomyoma. Lyomyosarcomas are aggressive, irregularly shaped tumors with atypical mitotic changes and necrotic areas. This tumor is commonly stained with desmin. Anovulation occurs as a result of an increase in the estrogen to progesterone ratio, resulting in unopposed estrogen that puts the patient at increased risk of endometrial hyperplasia and thus cancer. Because there is not enough progesterone, there is no LH surge and ovulation does not occur. Regular menses also does not occur because of the absence of progesterone withdrawal. Therefore, anovulatory bleeding occurs when the proliferative endometrium outgrows its blood supply, resulting in irregular bleeding. Common causes of anovulation include obesity, hypothalamic pituitary abnormalities, polycystic ovarian syndrome, thyroid disorders, and Cushing syndrome. Polycystic ovarian syndrome is a disorder in which there is increased LH and decreased FSH released from the pituitary. The ratio is usually greater than 2 to 1. Because of the increased LH, there is increased testosterone, which is converted into estrogen in adipose tissue. This is why patients with PCOS are at increased risk of endometrial cancer. This estrogen has negative feedback on the production of FSH thus decreasing FSH levels, which results in follicular degeneration and bilateral cystic ovaries. Clinical findings associated with PCOS include obesity, insulin resistance, hirsutism as a result of elevated testosterone, amenorrhea, and infertility. Treatment includes OCPs, luprolide, and metformin. Ovarian cysts are follicular cysts, the most common ovarian mass. They result from fluid buildup in a follicle, usually right before ovulation. They are unilateral and regress spontaneously. Corpus luteum cysts are similarly unilateral and regress spontaneously. Corpus luteum cysts are most common during pregnancy. Thecaludian cysts are usually bilateral and usually associated with molar pregnancies. Next, let's talk about gynecologic malignancies. Vaginal cancer is the fourth most common gynecologic malignancy. Risk factors include HPV 16 and 18 infection, obesity, and chronic hypertension. Squamous cell carcinoma is also associated with HPV infection. Clear cell adenocarcinoma is associated with diethylstilbestrol, or DES, exposure in utero. Sarcoma botryoides is a rhabdomyosarcoma that typically occurs in very young females, less than 8 years old, and stains desmin positive. The name botryoides comes from the Greek word for grape bunches, because of the gross appearance of the tumor resembling a bunch of grapes. Cervical dysplasia, or cervical intraepithelial neoplasia, or CIN, refers to the potentially premalignant transformation of the normal columnar epithelium to squamous epithelium at the transformation zone of the cervix. These dysplastic changes are mostly caused by HPV 16 and 18, the most high risk of the HPV types, which inactivate P53 and RB tumor suppressor genes. Risk factors include multiple sexual partners, early age of sexual intercourse, smoking, immunosuppression, and OCP use. Low-grade dysplasia normally regresses on its own. High-grade dysplasia has a greater chance of progressing to invasive cancer. However, this process usually takes about 10 years. Vaccines are now available that protect against HPV types 16 and 18, as well as other types. Cervical cancer is the least common gynecologic malignancy. The most common tumor type is squamous cell carcinoma. Less common is adenocarcinoma. Patients typically present with postcoital bleeding. The most common cause of death is renal failure from lateral invasion of the ureters. Endometrial hyperplasia is abnormal proliferative endometrium related to prolonged estrogen exposure. Therefore, risk factors include nulliparity, late menopause, early menarche, anovulatory cycles, PCOS, and hormone replacement therapy, along with systemic diseases such as diabetes mellitus, chronic hypertension, and obesity. The most common presenting sign is postmenopausal bleeding. Because endometrial hyperplasia progresses to endometrial carcinoma, any woman older than 35 years with abnormal vaginal bleeding requires an endometrial biopsy to rule out endometrial hyperplasia or cancer. Endometrial carcinoma is the most common gynecologic malignancy, with adenocarcinoma being the most common tumor type. Risk factors are similar to endometrial hyperplasia, with the greatest risk factor being a history of endometrial hyperplasia. Oral contraceptives are protective. Ovarian tumors are the second most common gynecologic malignancy. Risk factors include the BRCA1 gene mutation, a positive family history, higher lifetime ovulation due to things like early menarche, late menopause, or nulliparity, and white ethnicity. Oral contraceptives are protective because you get fewer lifetime ovulations. Early disease is asymptomatic, which is why most patients present in later stages of the disease. Later disease has nonspecific symptoms and signs such as bloating, constipation, nausea, and vomiting. The most common tumor type is epithelial, followed by germ cell, gonadostromal, and then metastatic. Table 16.3 in your text contains a summary of ovarian tumors, which I'll be reviewing next. Serous cystadenomas are an epithelial type of ovarian tumor. They're the most common benign ovarian tumor, and usually bilateral, and they're lined by ciliated cells. Their tumor markers are CA-125 and CEA. Serous cyst are also epithelial tumor types, and they're the most common malignant ovarian tumor. They're usually bilateral, and on histology you will see somoma bodies. You can use CA-125 and CEA as tumor markers. Mucinous cystadenomas are epithelial tumors that are large, benign ovarian masses lined by mucus-secreting cells, like the cells found in the endocervix. The tumor markers are also CA 125 and CEA. Mucinous cystadenocarcinomas are epithelial tumors that cause large malignant masses that can cause pseudomexoma peritonei which is mucinous material in the peritoneal space from seeding of the tumors. Their tumor markers are CA-125 and CEA. Brenner tumors are epithelial tumors that are benign and have transitional-like epithelium, like in the bladder. You can remember Brenner tumors have bladder-like epithelium by remembering that both start with the letter B. B for bladder, B for Brenner. Tumor markers for Brenner tumors include CA-125 and CEA. Dysgerminomas are germ cell tumors that are the most common malignant germ cell tumors. They're composed of undifferentiated germ cells with stroma infiltrated by lymphocytes that you can see on histology. Dysgerminomas can be seen in Turner syndrome, and tumor markers include hcg and LDH. Endodermal sinus tumors, or yolk sac tumors, are the second most common germ cell tumors. On histology, you'll see yolk sac cells with schiller duval bodies, which are structures that look like glomeruli. The tumor marker is AFP. Choriocarcinoma, is a germ cell tumor that is rare and malignant that can progress from molar pregnancy or arise sporadically. On histology, you'll see trophoblastic differentiation. Choriocarcinomas can be associated with bilateral lutein cysts and have a tumor marker of HCG. Teratomas are germ cell tumors and come in three forms. Mature teratomas, also called dermoid cysts, are benign and contain cells from two or three germ layers, especially ectoderm, so mature teratomas will contain tissue like that found in hair and teeth. Immature teratomas are malignant and they contain a neural element. Struma ovarii contains thyroid tissue potentially leading to hyperthyroidism. Fibromas are gonadal stromal tumors that are benign, and on histology you'll observe spindle-shaped fibroblasts. Fibromas can lead to Meag syndrome, which is ascites and a pleural effusion from the fibroma. Granulosa cell tumors are gonadal stromal tumors that are low-grade, estrogen-producing tumors that can cause endometrial hyperplasia and carcinoma. On histology, you will observe Cal-Exner bodies. And the tumor marker is estrogen. sertoli leydig tumors are gonadal stromal tumors that are benign and produce androgens that can cause masculinization. As a result, the tumor marker is testosterone. And finally, the Krukenberg tumor is a metastatic tumor that is a gastrointestinal malignancy that metastasizes to the ovaries, producing a signet cell adenocarcinoma on histology. Tumor markers for Krukenberg tumors include CEA and CA-125. Next, let's discuss breast disorders and malignancies, beginning with common breast conditions. Acute mastitis is an infection around the areola that can lead to a breast abscess, and usually results from breastfeeding. Common organisms include Staphylococcus aureus and Streptococcus pyogenes. Purulent nipple discharge may be present. Treatment is dicloxacillin and continued breastfeeding. Fat necrosis is a painless lump secondary to breast trauma. Mammary duct ectasia occurs when the main ducts are filled with debris causing inflammation and greenish nipple discharge. Gynecomastia is a glandular proliferation in the male breast caused by increased estrogen. Causes include puberty, old age, cirrhosis, Klinefelter syndrome, estrogen, marijuana use, spironolactone, digitalis, cimetidine. And ketoconazole, which displaces estrogen from sex hormone binding globulin. The classic presentation of gynecomastia is a pubertal boy presenting with a lump in his breast. The high levels of testosterone during puberty lead to high levels of estrogen when the aromatase enzyme converts the androgens into estrogens, causing gynecomastia. This usually self resolves and is of no serious consequence. Next, we'll discuss benign breast disorders. Fibroadenoma is the most common benign tumor in young women. It is a small, well-circumscribed mobile mass in the breast stroma. It is often tender during periods of increased estrogen, such as pregnancy and menstruation. Fibroadenoma does not commonly progress to breast cancer. Introductal papilloma is a papillary growth within the lactiferous ducts of the breast, usually presenting with unilateral bloody discharge. It does not pose an increased risk for cancer. phyllodes tumor is a large, bulky tumor derived from the stroma that has malignant potential. Although a fibroadenoma is the most common benign tumor in young women, The most common cause of a breast lump in a young woman is fibrocystic change, which occurs in more than half of women at some point during their reproductive years. This causes multiple lumps in the breast, which are usually painful and vary in size and tenderness with the reproductive cycle. This is often concerning and bothersome for the patient, but is benign. Finally, let's discuss breast cancer Breast cancer is the most common cancer in postmenopausal women, and the second most common cancer resulting in death in women. The mean age at diagnosis is 64 years. Risk factors include increased estrogen exposure from things like parity, early menarche, and late menopause, BRCA1 and BRCA2 gene mutations, positive family history in first-generation relatives obesity, and hormone replacement therapy. Malignancy is most commonly found in the upper outer quadrant, which drains into the axillary lymph nodes, which is an important prognostic indicator. The inner quadrant drains to the internal mammillary lymph nodes and is a less common site for breast cancer. Breast cancer commonly metastasizes to the lungs, bone, liver, brain, and ovaries. Breast cancers can also be classified by the presence or absence of hormone receptors, including estrogen receptor, ER, progesterone receptor, PR, and human epidermal growth factor receptor 2, or her 2 New ER-positive cancers carry a better prognosis and can be treated with selective estrogen receptor modulators, or CIRMs, such as tamoxifen. her 2 new positive cancers carry a worse prognosis but can be treated with a monoclonal antibody, trastuzumab, which binds the receptor. Table 16.4 in your text contains a summary of breast tumors. First, ductal carcinoma in situ, or DCIS. It is ductal hyperplasia that can invade past basement membrane in one-third of cases. It's not palpable, and it's detected via mammography because of the microcalcifications. Paget disease of the nipple is a dermal invasion of DCIS resulting in rash and possible nipple retraction. Paget cells are large cells in the epidermis with halos invasive ductal carcinoma is the most common type of breast cancer and is firm, hard, and sharply demarcated and invasive with a stellate morphology. One-third have her 2 new amplification and can be treated with trastuzumab. Lobular carcinoma in situ, or LCIS, is non-palpable and often found incidentally on breast biopsy, It's not identified via mammography because there are no calcifications. One-third of LCIS invades, and it's usually ER and PR positive. Invasive lobular carcinoma can be seen as a row of cells or concentric circles that have a bullseye appearance on histology. It's often bilateral, although the other breast does not have to have lobular cancer. Medullary carcinoma is related to the BRCA1 mutation, and it's typically her 2 positive and ERPR-negative. Inflammatory uh, breast cancer has a poor prognosis and is due to the tumor plugging up the dermal lymphatic lumens, resulting in lymphedema and dimpling, causing the peau d'orange appearance of the skin. Lastly, let's review sex chromosome and hormone disorders. Turner syndrome, 45XO, is a disorder that results in follicle deterioration and ovarian dysgenesis, or streak ovaries, by 2 years of age. This puts those with this disorder at risk for dysgerminomas. Because of the non-functioning ovaries, there's decreased estrogen and increased FSH and LH, Clinical signs and symptoms include short stature, shield chest, preductal coarctation of the aorta, bicuspid aortic valve, horseshoe kidney, cystic hygroma from dilated lymphatics, amenorrhea, and a shortened fourth metacarpal. Female pseudohermaphrodites have normal internal genitalia and virilized external genitalia from excessive exposure to androgens. Common causes include congenital adrenal hyperplasia and androgen exposure during pregnancy. We will begin our discussion of male pathology with benign prosthetic hyperplasia. Benign prosthetic hyperplasia, or BPH, of the prostate gland is age-related. It is thought that in later adult male life, there is an increase in estrogen levels, along with an increased synthesis of androgen receptors that respond to DHT. Enlargement of the transitional and periurethral lobes results in increased urinary frequency, urgency, hesitancy, and nocturia from anatomic compression of the urethra. Complications include obstructive uropathy leading to bilateral hydronephrosis, bladder infections, and prostatic infarcts. Prostate-specific antigen, or PSA, level is normal, or mildly elevated. Medical treatment includes alpha-adrenergic antagonists like terazosin or tamsulosin, which relax the smooth muscle around the urethral sphincter, or 5-alpha-reductase inhibitors like finasteride that block the conversion of testosterone to DHT. Surgical treatment is most commonly transurethral resection of the prostate, or TURP. Prostatic adenocarcinoma Prostate cancer is the most common cancer in men, usually affecting the peripheral or posterior lobe of the prostate. For this reason, it is often diagnosed via digital rectal exam, in which a hard mass is palpated. Risk factors include increasing age, family history, and African American ethnicity. Clinically, prostate cancer is silent until the advanced stages, at which time patients may report. Back pain from osteoblastic metastasis to the bone, spread via the Batson venous plexus, resulting in high alkaline phosphatase levels. PSA levels are elevated. Diagnosis is made by needle biopsy. Radiation, chemotherapy, and surgery may all be used in treatment. Side effects of surgery are common, including erectile dysfunction and urinary incontinence. Although serum PSA testing can be useful in detecting recurrences of prostate adenocarcinoma or in monitoring response to therapy, its use as a general screening tool in asymptomatic man has not been found to be helpful. You may use PSA to screen patients who request it after a conversation about the risks and benefits of screening, but in general its use is not recommended. Testicular Tumors Testicular cancer is the most common malignancy between ages 15 and 35 years in males. The most common types of testicular tumors are germ cell in origin, followed by gonadal stromal, which are mostly benign. Risk factors include cryptorchidism, Klinefelter syndrome, and inguinal hernias. Table 16.5 in your text contains a summary of testicular tumors, which I'll go over now. Seminomas are the most common germ cell tumors and are malignant. They affect men 30 to 35 years old, and on histology, you'll observe large cells with a fried egg appearance. Fortunately, seminomas have a good prognosis and are radiosensitive. You can have an increase in HCG in seminomas. Embryonal carcinomas are big, painful tumors with bloody necrotic areas and are mixed with other tumor types, and they have a worse prognosis. Tumor markers for embryonal carcinomas are AFP and HCG. Endodermal sinus tumors, or yolk sac tumors, are the most common testicular tumor in young children, less than 5 years old, and on histology you'll observe Schiller-Duval bodies. The tumor marker is AFP. Choriocarcinoma is an aggressive tumor of trophoblastic tissue that spreads hematogenously, and the tumor marker is HCG. Teratomas are benign in children and malignant in adults, and have the tumor markers AFP and HCG. Leydig cell tumors are androgen-producing tumors that cause precocious puberty in boys, and on histology you'll observe ranke crystals the tumor marker is testosterone. Lastly, testicular lymphoma is the most common testicular tumor in men over 60 years old. You'll observe bilateral testicle involvement and it has a poor prognosis. The tumor marker is LDH. Penile disorders and pathology. Peyronie disease is bending of the penis caused by fibrous tissue deposition secondary to previous trauma. Priapism is persistent penile erection secondary to sickle cell disease, spinal cord trauma, or medications like trazodone or sildenafil. Failure of detumescence leads to impaired venous drainage and causes compartment syndrome, which can eventually lead to ischemia and necrosis of penile tissue. Carcinoma in situ, CIS or Bowen disease, is leukoplakia, or white plaques of the penis and or scrotum that are associated with HPV-16 that progresses to squamous cell carcinoma in 10% of cases. Erythroplasia of kerat is erythroplakia, or red plaques, on the gland's penis, also associated with HPV-16. Bowenoid papulosis are red papular lesions on the external genitalia associated with HPV-16 that does not have the potential to become invasive squamous cell carcinoma. And squamous cell carcinoma is associated with HPV-16 and 18. Other risk factors include uncircumcised status and smoking. Scrotal sac disorders. A varicocele is dilation of the spermatic pampiniform venous plexus from increased pressure. It is most common on the left side because the left testicular vein drains into the left renal vein, not directly to the inferior vena cava, resulting in increased pressure. Varicocele on the right side should raise suspicion for cancer. A varicocele feels like a bag of worms. Patients are asymptomatic or may complain of pain and a pulling sensation in the scrotum. If large, a varicocele can lead to infertility, theoretically because of elevated scrotal temperature from the local pooling of blood that inhibits spermatogenesis. A hydrocele is an incomplete fusion of the tunica vaginalis, causing serous fluid accumulation around the testicle, resulting in scrotal swelling. Hydroceles are asymptomatic but are associated with inguinal hernias if there is total failure of fusion, and therefore communication with the peritoneal cavity. Hydroceles will transilluminate, meaning that a bright light will pass through the fluid-filled sac, as opposed to testicular tumors, which will block light. A spermatocele is a cystic mass derived from a tubule of the rete testis, or the head of the epididymis. It can be palpated superior to the testicle. It contains spermatozoa and is generally asymptomatic. Sex chromosome and hormone disorders Kleinfelter syndrome, 47XXY, is a disorder in which hyalinization and dysgenesis of the seminiferous tubules leads to decreased inhibin. Because inhibin normally has a negative feedback on FSH, its absence causes an increase in FSH. There are also decreased testosterone levels from excess aromatization of testosterone to estrogen, leading to an increase in LH. Clinical symptoms include testicular atrophy, tall and long extremities, from a lack of testosterone to close the epiphyseal plates, gynecomastia, female hair distribution, and infertility. Kleinfelder syndrome is an example of primary hypogonadism, a defect of the gonad itself. XYY syndrome occurs as a result of paternal nondisjunction. Patients are phenotypically tall and affected by acne. There are some reports of increased antisocial behavior. Fertility is unaffected. Androgen insensitivity syndrome, 46XY, results in a non-functional androgen receptor, so there is no functional exposure to androgens. Testosterone levels are elevated but cannot bind the androgen receptor. This allows for the development of a phenotypically female-appearing individual with female external genitalia because of peripheral conversion of testosterone to estrogen. The upper vagina, cervix, uterus, and fallopian tubes are absent because malaria-inhibiting hormone is still produced by the testes. Testicles are normally found in the labia majora and are removed surgically to prevent malignancy. There are high levels of LH and testosterone because testosterone cannot feedback negatively on the anterior pituitary to regulate LH levels, because the testosterone receptors on the anterior pituitary are similarly defective. High LH levels thus stimulate even more testosterone production. This is an example of male pseudohermaphroditism because the individual has testes but female appearing external genitalia. High testosterone levels in utero can cross the placenta and result in virilization of the mother during pregnancy, which resolves after delivery. In 5 alpha reductase deficiency, there are normal male internal genitalia because of normal testosterone levels. However, they are phenotypically female appearing males until puberty. This is because early in life, as a result of the defective enzyme, males cannot convert testosterone to DHT which is important in developing male external genitalia and masculinization. When puberty occurs, the patient will become virilized as a result of high levels of testosterone that are produced at that time. This is because although testosterone has a weaker affinity for the androgen receptor than does DHT, the level of testosterone increases to such an extent that it is able to stimulate the androgen receptor and cause these changes to occur regardless of DHT levels. That completes the pathology section of the text. Next, we'll move on to reproductive pharmacology, which is found in Table 16.6. Luprolide is a GNRH analog, which increases FSH and LH when used in a pulsatile fashion, but inhibits FSH and LH when used in a continuous fashion. Clinically, in a pulsatile fashion, it is used for infertility, while in a continuous fashion, It is used for prostate cancer, fibroids, or precocious puberty. Side effects of luprolide include nausea and vomiting. Finasteride is a 5-alpha reductase inhibitor and is used in the treatment of BPH and male pattern baldness. Side effects include gynecomastia. Flutamide is a competitive inhibitor at the testosterone receptor, and can be used with luprolide to treat prostate cancer. Spironolactone blocks the testosterone receptor and is a potassium-sparing diuretic. It's used to treat hirsutism and PCOS. Spironolactone also has uses in the treatment of hypertension and CHF. But side effects include gynecomastia, amenorrhea, and hyperkalemia. Clomiphene is a partial agonist at the estrogen receptor. It prevents negative feedback, which increases LH and FSH, which induces ovulation. It is used to promote ovulation in PCOS and infertility. Side effects include hot flashes and multiple pregnancies. Tamoxifen is an estrogen antagonist at the breast and an agonist at the endometrial tissue. It is used for treatment of ER-positive breast cancer, but it can cause an increased risk of endometrial cancer. Raloxifene is an estrogen agonist at the bone, but an antagonist at the breast and endometrium. It's used for treatment of osteoporosis. Side effects of raloxifene include leg cramps, DVT, and PE. Anastrozole is an aromatase inhibitor and is used in the treatment of breast cancer in postmenopausal women. Mifepristone is a competitive progesterone receptor antagonist and was used to perform an elective abortion. Side effects include heavy bleeding and abdominal pain. Oral contraceptives Prevent the estrogen surge and thus the LH surge by keeping estrogen and progesterone at baseline levels. It's used for contraception, but it's important to note that it does not protect against STDs. It can also be used to regulate irregular or painful menses, and it is protective against ovarian and endometrial cancer. Side effects of oral contraceptives include depression, weight gain, hypertension, DVT and PE It's contraindicated in women over 35 years old who smoke or have a history of thromboembolic disease Oral contraceptives are also contraindicated in women with a history of estrogen-sensitive tumors Dinoprostone is a prostaglandin E2 analog It makes the cervix favorable and induces labor by dilating the cervix and promoting uterine contractions. It can also be used as an abortive therapy. Side effects include nausea and abdominal pain. Ritodrine or terbutaline are beta-2 agonists at the uterine smooth muscle and are used to reduce uterine contractions. Side effects include tachycardia. Trazosin and tamsulosin are alpha-1A d-adrenergic antagonists that are selective for the prostate. They are used for the treatment of BPH if urinary symptoms are present. Side effects include hypotension because they can bind other alpha receptors on the vasculature. Sildenafil, vardenafil, and tadalafil are phosphodiesterase-5 inhibitors and increase cyclic GMP by inhibiting its breakdown. This causes smooth muscle relaxation in the vasculature. This leads to increased blood flow, which leads to an erection. It's used for the treatment of erectile dysfunction, but can also be used to treat Raynaud's syndrome or pulmonary hypertension. Side effects include headache and flushing, and life-threatening hypotension in patients also taking nitroglycerin. Thank you for listening. That will do it for Chapter 16, The Reproductive System, for Crush Step 1, 2nd Edition.
0: With that, we wrap up today's episode of the Crush Step 1 Podcast. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, the publishing company behind Crush Step One, as well as all of my other books, for allowing us to put out this book in podcast format. Thank you for joining us, and please check out our other chapters.